In a few minutes, we will be in Daniel chapter 1, if you want to go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. In your Bible, it's uh, Ezekiel and then Daniel, and maybe you're using a Bible app and you can find the book of Daniel. We'll be in chapter 1 in three or four minutes. Hundreds of years ago, the world was so hostile to Christianity that a lot of Christians felt that the best thing to do was to retreat and cloister themselves off apart from civilization. And so they built the cloisters and the monasteries to basically stay separate from the world that was so hostile to them. Now, the older I get, part of me kind of understands that, that desire. But yet, I think back over my life, and I think about some of the church people that I've run into in my life, and it might be safer out here than it would be to be cloistered with some of them. But, but there's an old hymn of the church, uh, you may have sung it in the church in which you grew up, called Am I a Soldier of the Cross? It is a powerful hymn. And in it is a line that I heard my dad quote often. Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? And in case you don't know the answer to that, the answer to that is no. <laughs> this vile world is not a friend to grace. There's nothing in this world that will lead us on to God. Isaac Watts wrote those words. I could not find the publication date of that song, but he died in 1748. So in the 1700s, he was asking the same questions we may be asking in 2021. Is this vile world a friend of grace to lead us on to God? The, the issue for those of us who are passionate about following Christ and desiring to make an impact in our world, after all, that's why Christ left us here, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The question is, how do we do that? Is it possible to be a positive influence in such a negative world? And when I was thinking back to the monasteries, I realized that those wouldn't even work in our society today because we'd all take our phones and our tablets and we'd still be connected. I learned a new term a couple of weeks ago. It may be an old term. Those of you younger people may already know this term, but I just found it. And it's a perfect description of what so many of us do. Doom scrolling. They said, I just went home and spent an hour doom scrolling. And what doom scrolling is, is when you open your social media feeds and scroll through reading all of the doom and the gloom and the hatred and the division and the strife. And that's a pretty good description of what social media is like anymore, doom scrolling. Let me tell you, if you don't already know, that doom scrolling is an excellent way to lose your joy, to lose your peace, to increase your blood pressure, to increase your stress level, to threaten your hope and your faith. So don't do it. I know you're afraid you might miss something really important, but be careful about falling into the trap of doom scrolling. Um, don't, don't do that. We as believers are charged with being a positive influence 
in a negative world. And I believe we can do that. And I believe the Bible gives us, through the lives of four young Jewish men, how we can do that. Thousands of years ago, these four young men faced the same challenge. How can I be positive when I'm in a negative world? And they met that challenge incredibly successfully. And it's the story of Daniel and his three friends that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so we'll begin, uh, I don't know how long we will be in Daniel. I don't know that we're going to do the prophecy part, so don't get too excited about that. Uh, but, but we're going to look at how to be a positive influence in a negative world, and we're going to begin in Daniel chapter 1 with rules for waking up in Babylon. Now, we've all heard the statement, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. In other words, don't rock the boat, just fit in, just go along. You know, go along to get along. But that's getting harder and harder for believers to do in our society. And again, this isn't the first time that we face that challenge. How to be true to Christ in a world that is not a friend to grace. If you remember a little bit about your history of civilization, you probably remember the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar was the leader of that empire. And he had a brilliant two-pronged method for conquering the world. The first thing he did was, after he conquered a nation, he would send a bunch of his people into that country to live. And they would eventually, you know, impact the society around them to the Babylonian way of thinking and living. The second thing he did was that he found the best and the brightest of the young people of that country he had captured and brought them to Babylon and enrolled them in a three-year course of Babylonians' methods and philosophies and so on so that he trained from among the best and brightest of the people he had conquered the next generation of his own leaders. He, he, it was a brilliant strategy for him to do. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the court king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. The Babylonians had just captured Judah. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were entered into the king's service. So that's what's going on. Daniel and these three Hebrew children are among those who have been captured and brought back to Babylon to be enrolled in this three-year course of study. This is where they find themselves, in a foreign land, in leadership in that foreign land, and the Roman Empire hadn't come into existence yet, so maybe the saying of that day was, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do, but they ran into an issue, and we read about that starting in verse 8. Remember, the king has assigned them a daily amount of food from the king's table. 
Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I'm just going to make this a parenthetical thing. We'll, we'll see it later on. Daniel was his you know, Hebrew name. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were the Hebrew names. The king later gave them all Babylonian names. What's interesting is we know Daniel only by his Hebrew name. But if I told you today I was going to preach on Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you probably would say, who are they? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know them by their Babylonian names. Not quite sure why, but anyway, that's where these young men come from. The chief official gave them new names. They're, well, there's where it comes from. <laughs> Keep reading, preacher. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. I guess that's probably why we know him as Daniel instead of Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. I love that verse. Even in the midst of the darkest times of your life, God can cause people to show you favor and compassion. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over them, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. All right, why the fuss over the meat from the king's table? What's the big deal? It's certainly the best food out there. It's the king saying, I'm going to let my chef, you know, fix you your meals. Why was this an issue? We're going to look at that in a couple of minutes. But first, I want us to look at the fact that the issue for them was commitment. Would they stick to their faith in God? Or would they fit in to the Babylonian religious system? Which brings us to 2021. We are, many prophecy people believe, we are living in the beginnings of the resurgence of the Babylonian Empire. The Bible says that in the last days, the last major political world system is called Babylon. You read about it in the book of Revelation, and you read about Babylon rising back up. And a lot of people who study prophecy and who study the characteristics of the Babylonian Empire say, 
we we getting there if we're not there already. So how do we keep our commitment to Christ? Frederick Flock wrote a book called Choices, and he says this, most people can look back over the years and identify a time and place at which their lives changed significantly. Whether by accident or by design, these are moments when because of a readiness within us and a collaboration with events occurring around us, we are forced to seriously reappraise ourselves and the conditions under which we live, to make certain choices that will affect the rest of our lives. And that's exactly where these four young Jewish men found themselves. It was a crossroads of commitment. What I mean by that is it is a place where personal decisions must be made. Maybe a better word would be individual uh, decisions. The crowd can't make your commitment for you. You can't roll with the tide any longer. You've got to take your stand. It is a place where you have to decide for yourself, am I going to follow Christ? If you've ever been to like an evangelistic crusade where they've got the, the pumping music and the emotional preaching and all that, it, you know, it's amazing how many people you know, in quotation marks, make a decision for Christ. Sometimes you can't find him six weeks later because the emotion of the crowd is gone and when it comes down to just me and I have to decide how I'm going to live, it's not so easy to do. The crossroads of commitment is when you are faced with your personal, individual choice. How am I going to live my life? And by the way, You've all lived long enough to know this is not a once-for-all commitment. You know, you make a choice. Every, it's like health. You make decisions every day to determine your health. You make decisions every day that determine your commitment to Christ. The decisions you make have consequences. They always cost something. And we need to understand that. The decisions that we make positively or negatively, will have consequences. And even choosing not to decide is in itself a decision. And once you make that decision, other people will be influenced by them. They may be influenced positively, they may be influenced negatively, but even though it's an individual commitment, it will have an influence on the people around you. But it's at this point this crossroads of commitment, where I decide, am I going to live for God or not? That's where God reveals himself. When you take a stand for him, when you make a commitment for him, he will reveal himself and you will find your relationship with him deepening. So the challenge of Babylon was this. Why was this meat such an issue? And by the way, most people think that these young men were teenagers, uh, and, and that really adds another dimension to the story because that's who, that's who Nebuchadnezzar would bring back to his empire would be the young teenagers that he could influence and train. So they're taken away from their home. They're taken away from everything they know. Why the fuss over food? Again, it almost seems silly. 
You know, this has got to be the best food in the empire. Everybody else has eaten it. Why can't you? Has your commitment to Christ ever gotten you in a situation like that? Where somebody says, well, everybody else is doing it. Why can't you? Well, just come along with us, you know. Come along to get along. You know, just why, why do we have to make such a fuss over small things? Why in the world are you making such a fuss over the best food in the empire? And when I started studying this, I began to learn why this meat was such an important issue that Daniel and the other three young men would say, please excuse us from eating it. First was in the Eastern traditions, eating with somebody was a sign of a commitment to friendship with them. Well, that's okay. You can be friends with somebody who's not a Christian. But here's where the problem came in. Part of the food that the Babylonians ate was unclean according to Mosaic law. When you read through the first five books of the Old Testament, there are a lot of dietary restrictions. There are a lot of foods that God said to his people, these are unclean foods and you can't eat them. That was a staple of the Babylonian diet. Additionally, some of the food had already been offered to the Babylonian gods. In their idol worship, they would bring some of that meat, and then what was left over, they would bring to the king's table to eat because they offered their best to their gods. At least you could give them that, right? They offered their best to their gods. And so they would take, you know, they would kill whatever animal it would be. They would take part of it to sacrifice to their gods. And what was left, they would bring back to the king's banquet hall. Well, when you read the, the scriptures, you know that eating meat offered to idols was off limits for the Jews. Another thing I learned was that the Jews killed animals in such a way so that all of the blood drained out of the animals because their dietary restrictions said you couldn't eat blood. The Babylonians killed their animals in such a way that the blood stayed in the animal. So again, it's a violation of Mosaic law. Here's the point. This was an issue of religious commitment. This diet that they're being offered went contrary to several of the dietary restrictions of their faith. This was not a, no, I don't want to eat with you. This was a major issue for this, these young men. It was a matter of religious commitment. It was a matter of, am I going to stay true to the Mosaic law or not? Am I going to stay true to God or not? And that leads me to say this. Make sure that your convictions and your commitments are based on the scriptures and not just your taste or your preference or your cultural background. You know, there, there's a lot of conflicts that happen in the, in the church world that have nothing to do with Scripture. They have with, well, I was raised this way, and this is the way I want church to be. Or this is my favorite kind of music, and that's what the music I want the church to be. Or this is my favorite color, and that's the color I want the carpet to be. You know, there's all kinds of, of preferences and cultural backgrounds and our own ideas 
And a lot of times we fight those battles. We, those aren't the battles to fight. Make sure that your convictions and your commitments are based on the scriptures. Make sure they are biblically based. That's critically important because so many times a lot of the things we fuss about have nothing to do with scriptural truth. So, again, the challenge of Babylon was that this food they were being offered was opposed to their religious commitments and convictions. So it was a huge issue to them. So then, how do you go about saying no to Babylon? How do you maintain your positive influence in a world that doesn't understand your commitment? Well, first, your heart must be set. Another way maybe to, to do that is say your mind must be made up. You know, verse 8 says Daniel resolved. The, the King James says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself in the king's meat. The inference is this. Daniel made up his mind before he ever sat down at that table that he was going to stay true to God's law. Can you imagine if he had said, well, you know, let's wait and see. Maybe it'll be okay. Maybe it'll be, you know, something that I find out I like after all. And you sit down and, and the chef brings out, you know, the most delicious smelling, most attractive looking, most appetizing food you've ever set in front of you. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute. That's been offered to idols. That's still got blood in it. I can't do that. It's a whole lot harder to say no when the food's staring you in the face. And you know that principle, that the battle is won before the battle is begun. Commitment begins before you're faced with the decision. We'll say that again. The battle is won before the battle is begun. You've got to make up your mind, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to live for Him, period. Not, I'm going to live for Him, comma, <laughs> I'm going to live for Him, period. In your business, in your line of work, you're told to, to do something that is against biblical ethics, and you're promised that if you do, there will be a promotion waiting for you. There will be a, a bonus waiting for you. If you've not already made up your mind that you're going to stay true to biblical principles, that temptation is going to be a whole lot harder to say no to. Make up your mind ahead of time. Determine, you know, I tell couples that are dating, you know, you, you determine before you start dating. Here's our line. Here's what the Bible says. Here's how we're going to behave ourselves. Don't wait till the pressure's on and then try to decide what you're going to do. Make up your mind ahead of time. There's an old chorus we used to sing in the church I grew up in. I am determined. I've made up my mind. I will serve the Lord. And we've got to make that decision ahead of time. If we're going to be able to stay true to God in the midst of an increasingly hostile world, we're going to have to have our minds made up, our hearts purposed, we're going to stay true to God. But, and don't overlook this element to this, your life must be winsome. That's the best word I could come up with. I mean attractive and positive. 
we all know people who claim to be Christians who are harsh, who are bitter, who are critical, who are a poor testimony to the grace of God. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were attra lived attractive, positive lives. They did not condemn others who didn't share their commitment. There are two words in verse 6 that caught my attention. Among them. Nebuchadnezzar has a bunch of people. We don't know how many of them he brought back. Maybe hundreds. But there were more than just Daniel and the three Hebrew children that were brought back into cap Babylonian captivity. Among the ones that came were Daniel and the three Hebrew children. They weren't the only Jews who were brought into this situation, but it seems that they were the only ones who took this stand. The reason we know the names of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was because of the stand they took, and as we'll see in coming weeks, the trouble that got them in. But they were not the only Jewish young men who were in this Babylonian school. Among the maybe hundreds, maybe more than that, of Jewish young men who were in this Babylonian three-year school of learning, among them were these four young men. Now, you know, I can't take you to a verse in the Bible that says they were the only ones, but that's the inference I draw from those words, among them were these four young men. And I'm just assuming that they were the only ones who took their, this stand. But there's no indication that Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego condemned the other people. There's no indication that Daniel said, y'all just need to do what we do too, or else you're all just, you know. There, there's no indication that he lived his life like that. I, I heard somebody say one time that the meanest people in the, uh, in the, in the world are people who say they believe the Bible and then they hate everybody who doesn't, you know, and, and there's enough of that in the world. And, and we, if you really do love the Bible, you're not going to hate everybody that doesn't. But, but there's no indication here that Daniel went around rebuking the other Jewish people and said, wait a minute, why can't you take the same stand we are? Their, their life was attractive, their life was positive, and they were wise in their approach. In verse 8, it says that Daniel asked the man. Could we please have an exemption from this diet? Uh, the King James uses the word requested. In verse 12, they go to the man and say, please. There is something polite and positive about how they approached their enemy. It's like, okay, you're the guy that's in charge of the school and you're bringing us this food could we please be excused from this? They, they didn't, you know, rant and rave. They didn't say, we're not going to eat anything here. You know, and, and they just, they didn't act that way. There was such a positive, uh, polite approach. Could we please be excused? We're asking you if we could be excused. Now, they had already apparently made such a positive influence 
over this leader that he was looking favorably on them and God had given them favor with him. And so he, in essence, said, well, if it was up to me, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, the king's going to be mad because this is the best food in the empire. And if you don't eat this, you're, you're, you're going to look puny and scrawny and, I, and my head's going to roll. And so they say, well, let's just give this a test. For this set amount of time, could we please just have this and be true to our commitment? And then you see at the end of the time how it goes. Again, a very reasonable approach. Now, we've all lived long enough to know that not everybody will be reasonable with you. But, but God was with these young men. And the guy said, okay, we can do this. Don't be obnoxious in your stand for God. Don't be obnoxious in how you fulfill your religious commitments. And of course, God gives them favor. But here's the thing. When we face this area of, I've got to make a commitment here, what I'm going to do, make sure that your faith is in God, not your own ideas, not your own abilities, not your own wisdom, not your own uh, strategies, Make sure that your faith is in God. As you read the book of Daniel, overarching the whole book is a strong faith in God. So we pick up our reading in verse 18 and see what happens. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And of course, we've already read verse 15, that at the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and more well-nourished than the ones who ate the king's food. God blesses commitment. These young men made their commitment to stay true to God and he gave them superior knowledge, he gave them insight, and they lived in such a way that without compromising their convictions, they were still respected. And again, I realize that in some situations, that's not going to happen. But there will be times where if we will stay true to God and do it in the proper way, God will come through and we'll be able to find respect and compassion on the other side of the issue. Now, not everybody agreed with that, and this commitment of theirs gets them into trouble, and those are the stories that you know from the book of Daniel, and yes, we're going to get into the fiery furnace and the lion's den, because not everybody had the same attitude toward them that this particular leader did. So the question is, how can we develop that kind of a commitment. What are the rules for when you wake up in Babylon? How can we develop that commitment to stay true to Christ, period? Well, first it begins with struggle. Commitment always begins with struggle. It starts in the first and second verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And yes, I did notice, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. 
<laughs> yeah, I noticed that. You can preach your own sermon on that. But just suffice it to say, God had warned his people that if you don't obey me, if you don't serve me, if you don't follow me, you're going to be taken captive by a heathen nation. When Habakkuk asked the Lord, what are you up to? The Lord said, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Well, this is what the Lord was talking about. The, being delivered into the Babylonian captivity. But it is out of that struggle that the commitment came. And you know anything you've committed to in your life has come out of struggle. It may have been internal, but there's been a struggle. Any kind of serious commitment you made in your life came out of some kind of struggle. That's where it starts. However, the good news is commitment does not depend on your abilities or your gifts. It do, you can't say, well, I can't be committed because I'm not smart enough or strong enough or wise enough. No. Again, remember, among them were Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Because commitment is the result of choices, not chance. Again, verse 8, Daniel resolved. He made up his mind ahead of time, I'm going to stay true to God. Commitment isn't dependent on how brilliant you are or how many years you lived in you know, church or any of that. It's about the choices that you make day by day. And commitment starts in the little areas. You know, right? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. You know, it starts in the little areas. Now, the issue of meat was a big deal, but it wasn't near as big a deal as bowing to an idol was. And I would imagine that once Daniel got through the commitment to the meat, he probably thought, okay, good, you know, we're done with the testing and let's just get on with our living. And then all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar's idol comes up and they're threatened with the fiery furnace if they don't bow to an idol. That's a bigger issue than meat was. If they had not made the commitment to stay true to their religious traditions and mosaic law when it came to meat, I don't know that they'd have been able to stand up against idolatry, especially when there's a fiery furnace waiting on the other side of that. Little commitment can lead you to larger commitment just as little compromises lead you to larger compromises. So it's important to realize you start small and then you leave the results to God. We would love for every time we came head on into Babylon for God to give us favor and for us to come out of the trial looking more well-nourished and looking more beautiful and handsome and getting favor with everybody, but it doesn't always go that way at first. And I'm going to skip ahead to where we're going to be in a couple of weeks, to chapter 3. When the three Hebrew children are told by Nebuchadnezzar, if you do not bow to this idol, you're going into the fiery furnace. And in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, this is what they said. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, 
and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. I love that. Yes, you have the ability to throw us in the furnace. Our God has the ability to protect us. But even if he does not, we're not going to bow. See, that kind of commitment begins with, we're not going to eat the king's meat. And we do need to understand, you know, so many times when we read the Bible, well, every time we read the Bible, we read it knowing how the story ends. The people who were living the Bible didn't know how the story was going to end. And those three Hebrew children were just convinced, I believe, that they're probably going to end up in the furnace. But they left the results to God. God is able to deliver us, but, well, you need that in your life. But even if he does not, I'm going to pray and trust God for fill in the blanks. But even if he does not, I'm going to trust him. A lot of Christians prayed about this election. And for a lot of Christians, it didn't go the way they wanted it to go. But even if it does not, God is still in control. You may be praying about a promotion or a raise or an issue in your home or your family. And you say, God, please. But even if the answer doesn't come the way I want it to, even if he does not, I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to leave the results to him. Make sure you trust God and not what he can do for you. you know, a lot of times we pray, oh, oh, God's going to do this for me, and it's going to be great. No, you just say, God, I'm going to trust you regardless. I'm going to obey you regardless. If the answer is yes that I want, I'm going to serve you. If the answer is no, and I didn't want that answer, I'm going to serve you. If the answer is wait a while, and I sure didn't want that answer, I'm still going to serve you. Leave the results to him. Father, our world desperately needs to see believers who are not only committed to you, but are committed to living the life you've called us to live to be the salt of the earth, to give flavor, to be the light of the world, to show the way out of darkness. And Lord, it's challenging right now, but we know that you have the answer. So far, none of us has been threatened with a fiery furnace. And the God who answered the prayers of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego is still answering prayers for his people today. We thank you for that. As we study these familiar stories, increase our faith, strengthen our resolve, and may we make up our mind, I'm going to serve God, period. And then may you be glorified through our lives. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming out today. You're dismissed.